Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football fans, the moment you have been waiting for all season is finally right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings' free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get an instant free prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. Download the app now, enter the free prediction challenge, answer questions like who will score last, and boom! Get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. And this Super Bowl will be no different. And you get to enter for free. And you could be walking away with $1 million. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl Prediction Challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl Challenge only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use promo code THPN when you sign up to get access to exclusive offers. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs, and I gotta say, I am feeling a bit better today after that performance on Tuesday against the San Jose Sharks, and I think we can all agree that we needed that one. Just a big, deep breath. (sighs) Much better. Just a detoxing of the soul after these last three games with the scraping by with the win against the Kings, just the frustrating 4-2 loss to the Kings a few days later, scraping by with that overtime win against the Ducks, and then being handled by John Gibson last time out with the 3-1 loss to the Ducks. And after that loss to the Ducks, I made the audible call and recorded my reaction right away after the game. And after I slept on it for a few hours, I felt a little better because the Avs did play well, and if they kept playing like that, the wins would come. And, oh boy, did the win come on Tuesday against the San Jose Sharks. The Colorado Avalanche defeat the San Jose Sharks by a final score of 7-3 and improve to 4-3 on the season. And just, like I said, just a big, big sigh of relief. Just a kind of reminder that this team doesn't suck. 
they don't suck despite the fact that they struggled in their last four games. They don't suck. They're a good hockey team, one of the best teams in the league. And they proved that against the Sharks. And it's just just so comforting to watch them just dismantle a team that they should dismantle from start to finish, almost start to finish. The first five minutes of the game were a bit iffy. The Sharks get on the board first, as a matter of fact. Ryan Donato strikes first, and I could I could feel that frustration starting to creep into my brain. The Avs, they were, they were still playing better up to that point than the Sharks, but it seemed like they were just going to be fighting the puck all night, and even though they weren't playing John Gibson anymore, they might be in their own heads at this point, and the Avs, they would go a bit scoreless for a bit of the first period, and then with under four minutes to go, Eric Johnson back in the lineup takes a shot from the point that beats Martin Jones. Great to see the Condor back in the lineup. Eventually, they do end up crediting the goal to Jonas Donskoy, his third goal of the season on a deflection. I honestly couldn't tell if it hit Donskoy or not. I'll leave that up to the professionals. So, Donskoy with his third of the season. Eric Johnson gets on the board with his first point of the season. Finally back in shape after recovering from COVID-19 during training camp and getting his workouts in over the last few games. Avs are on the board. It's 1-1. And after this point, it snowballed out of control. The Avs, they looked like a team that should be dominating the San Jose Sharks and their, frankly, pitiful goaltending. Brandon Saad gets back on the board his second goal of the season a beautiful play from Kale McCarr oh man I'm gonna get into Kale McCarr after we look at this game a beautiful play sets up Brandon Saad all alone in front of the net and Martin Jones is completely frozen there is not a defenseman in sight all Saad does is push it a little to the backhand and shovel it into the net Beautiful play, and 16 seconds after Jonas Donskoy deflects the Eric Johnson shot, Brandon Saad on the board, his second of the season. All of a sudden, it's 2-1, to one, and I'm no longer frustrated because now this team is rolling, and it doesn't even stop there in the first period. Miko Rantanen, another guy I am going to get to after we talk about this game. Power play goal set up by Nathan McKinnon. Beautiful play. Miko Rantanen, his sixth goal of the season already, tied for the league lead. And I just, I want to talk about just how good Miko Rantanen is really, and where he ranks in terms of NHL wingers right now, because I think he is making his case as to being one of the top guys in the league on the wing. And like I talked about a few episodes ago, that was my expectation with him. I wanted him to break into that conversation with guys like Pasternak and Ovechkin and Marner. Like, you you know, players like that that are considered to be game breakers. I want that to be Rantanen this season. And he has proven that and more. He is on a six-game goal streak, tied for second longest in franchise history. If he strikes again on Thursday against the Sharks, he will tie for the longest goal streak in Avalanche history. That would be phenomenal. But like I said, I'm going to get into all of that after we talk about the game with Rantanen and Makar, frankly, and also some of the injuries that have popped up with the this Avalanche team over the last few days. Nothing that will really hold them back, but stuff that needs to be brought up nonetheless. But I want to go back to the Brandon Saad goal and just how good it is to see him finally rolling. Because this was not his only goal of the game. He gets on the board with the Avalanche's final goal of the game to make it 7-2 to two in the second period, and I'll get to that goal later, but this this was good to see. Saad standing in front of the net, Makar, the beautiful move, Andre Burakovsky feeds it to Makar, and this second line just seems to finally be rolling, and 
is Andre Burakovsky the glue that holds this depth together? Because in the few games that he was gone, it was abysmal. And in the two games against the Blues early in the season where he was here, he was kind of the only guy putting up depth scoring. So is Andre Burakovsky really that important to this team that when he's not in the lineup, the depth just goes to the center of the earth, never to be seen again? I mean, you guys know I love Andre Burakovsky, my favorite player, and I'm always happy to see him perform. But he was out of the lineup for three games, and in those three games, it was Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen versus the world, basically, with a hint of Kale McCarr, Landeskog, and Grubauer mixed in there as well. And now he's back. Doesn't do much against the Ducks, doesn't pick up any points, but has a great scoring chance shut down by John Gibson. And then in this game, he picks up two assists and directly sets up Brandon Saad on his second goal of the game. And Burakovsky, in just four games he's played this season, has five points. I know a lot of people aren't taking away how good Andre Burakovsky is from this game just because there's so much else to talk about, but I will because I like the guy. I think he's a fantastic player, and we're very, very lucky to have him. And just how refreshing it was to finally see Brandon Saad have a big game, not just get on the board like he did in the win against the Kings, but have a big game with two goals. It was it's what we've been waiting for. It's what we've been needing to see from him the entire time. So hopefully this can kickstart that second line and hopefully the depth as a whole to start producing on the regular because as we see, McKinnon and Rantanen are going to produce likely every single game. So if you can get a goal from the second and third line as well, the odds of winning go through the roof. I mean, Rantanen, like we said, is on a six-game goal streak. McKinnon is, I believe, tied for third in the league in points. He already has seven assists. Most of them have come on Rantanen goals, and McKinnon has two goals for himself already. You're going to get at least something from that top line, if not them, probably Landeskog as well, every single night. So if you get a goal from Saad or Burakovsky and... Kadri hit a post in the first period. He's he's coming close. He's going to be right there. He picked up an assist in this one, had four shots on goal. He played 16 minutes as well. I mean, Kadri's coming. I know we're all a little frustrated with him, and we won 7-3, to three, so it's getting overlooked right now that he didn't score. It's coming. He has a goal on the season. He got it against St. Louis. It's coming. The goals will come later in the year. And by the time the playoffs roll around, Nazem Kadri will be just fine, just like it was last year. By the, to- by the time we get to game 50 and we start winding down the season and we get to that first round of the playoffs and Kadri's producing like he was in the bubble last year, we're all going to forget this ever happened. And by the time next season starts and probably the same thing, we'll look back at this season like, oh, he starts slow all the time. He'll get over it. Give it a little while. It might even be... Next game against the Sharks, he'll get on the board. And it'll just, if you give it a little while, he's going to get on the board eventually. But you could see the chemistry starting to work with that second line, especially now that Burakovsky is back in the lineup, basically, hopefully full time. I mean, I love the guy, but Christ's sake, stay in the lineup, please, for more than two games at a time. Just stay healthy for a, like a stretch of like 30 games, please. If Andre Burakovsky ever plays a full season, it'll be a miracle. I don't think he's ever done it. And I, I hope that that injury where he misses three games is the last time we have to deal with it for a while. Because you could see the difference. Like I was just saying, you could see the difference with him out of the lineup versus him in it. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. You can't argue with the results when Burakovsky's in the lineup. Depth scoring happens. He assists on both sod goals, and so clearly something's working. So by the end of the first period, it's 3-1 Colorado after early on it looked like it might be another long, frustrating night. 
not at all the case after a little while. You get to the second period, another player that I complained about last episode, Valerina Shushkin, gets a shorthanded goal just 92 seconds into the second period. His first goal of the season, unassisted, deking poor Martin Jones out of his jock. God, what a what a rough night for Martin Jones. I mean, th- I was I predicted coming into this game that the Abs were going to get on the board with a big win and I th- I said 5 to 2, not 7 to 3. Mainly because the Sharks goaltending is abysmal and they they just got tossed around in this one. I mean, you got to feel bad for them a little bit. Not for Devin Dubnik who comes in for Martin Jones later in the period. I'll get to Devin Dubnik's antics when we get to that goal, but great to see Nachushkin get on the board with a shorthanded goal, making that whole play happen. Like I I said last episode, we needed guys to start to come through, so this wasn't McKinnon, Rantanen, and their band of merry men. This game was certainly not. This was a whole team's almost 60-minute performance. By the third period, they were up 7-2. They didn't Evidently, they didn't try that hard to score. You don't need to when you're up by five goals. But a solid performance all around from everybody. And hopefully this can kickstart Nachushkin to start to pot a few more goals every here and there. I mean, this was just his second point of the year. And actually, no, that was his first point of the season. Actually, I believe I have that completely backwards. Both of his first two points of the season came in this game. He had zero points coming into tonight. And he got, okay, he got the assist on the first goal of the game from Donskoy. That's the, that's what I forgot about. So it was Donskoy deflecting the Eric Johnson shot, and Nachushkin got the second assist. So that was Nachushkin's first point. This goal was his first goal of the season, his second point of the season. So finally, great to see him get get the donuts out of the stat sheet and get two points on the board. Hopefully that can kickstart more down the line and because we, we need it. We need it. Every team needs it. I mean, you saw as much as Ranton and McKinnon and McCarr were dominating against the Kings and Ducks, it wasn't enough. They needed more. And in this game, everything was working. Four minutes later, Sam Gerrard gets on the board, his first of the season. Kiefer Sherwood makes his debut on the season. He picks up an assist on the goal. Former Duck, in his first game as a member of the Avalanche, comes off the taxi squad. And good for him. 25-year-old, maybe he can carve out a role on that fourth line. Maybe he can be someone we see on the fourth line next season, as well as there is inevitably going to be some turnover and... As we'll get into a little later, maybe we'll start to see more of Kiefer Sherwood in the lineup because of some unfortunate injuries that have hit the team in their depth a bit lately. But great to see Sammy G get on the board his first of the season. He's been excellent. He's kind of flown under the radar, but he has been excellent. He has six points in seven games. He's he's just been great on defense and especially setting up goals. I mean, I talked about before the season how I think his contract could end up being one of the biggest steals in the league. It feels like Gerard's been around forever, but this is his fourth season with the team. Like, we do know Sam Gerard's only 22, right? What a steal that was from the Matt Duchesne trade to get him from Nashville, who we didn't even send Duchesne to. He's still just 22 years old. I just think that's absurd to me. He'll, by the time the playoffs roll around, actually, he'll be 23 on May 12th, regardless. The fact that we're on the fourth season of Gerard already, and we're seeing him blossom into what would be on a normal team, a top-paired defenseman, but since we have Kale McCarr and the like, and Devontae's, I will get to Devontae's later. I love that, man. And... Gerard, obviously. Now we got Bowen Byram coming up the wings. This this team is ridiculous. Sam Gerard, like I said before, would be a top pair defenseman on like ninety percent of the teams in the league. I I love this guy. He's great, and that contract is a total steal. I, it's great because it's not like oh Sam Gerard's too good, and we have to pay him too much, so we have to trade him to make room for other people. He's on a five million dollar deal for the foreseeable future. I mean, when does this contract end? 
2027. He's he was not even going to be in his 30s yet, and we have him for five million bucks. He hasn't even his prime yet. Like that's such a good deal. Like anyway, great to see him get his first of the season. Snipe on Martin Jones. That ends Martin Jones's night at five goals on I believe 19 shots. I mean, God. God, this is why I had the Sharks at the bottom of this division, or at least second to last ahead of the Kings, is their goaltending sucks. How do how are they icing this goaltending tandem of Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik? This is what sunk the Sharks last season outside of all their injuries, the fact that they could not get a goddamn occasional save. And now it's even worse because they don't have Aaron Dell anymore. He walked in free agency, and they... They actively went out and traded for Devin Dubnik, who, on the next goal of the game, to make it 6-2, the Sharks would get a goal in the middle of it to cut the lead to three that I honestly forgot about until right now. I believe that goal came from Noah Gregor, makes it 5-2, Sharks still have a mountain to climb, and then a little bit later, Devon Tays. Oh, I, I just before I get into Devin Dubnik's antics on this goal, I gotta say, I talked about this on Twitter, but I love Devontae's so much. He, in just a few games, in just seven games, Devontae's has grown into one of my favorite players. Just because the way he plays, I don't know how to describe it other than it's just so comforting. Like... Every time he's on the ice, it, ju- it just feels like there's a big weighted blanket around my shoulders. And it's just, oh, oh, this guy is just, he's so good. He's just like, I, when he's on the ice, I know everything's going to be okay. I know he's going to play solid defense. I know he's going to get shots to the net and move the puck well and not turn the puck over. It's just, oh, it's just, he's like, a, he's a safety blanket. It's just He's comforting. Like everyone has like their comfort movies, their comfort TV shows, everything something they do for comfort. Just watching Devontae's play hockey for the Colorado Avalanche, that's that's just that's my comfort watching for me. He's just so good. He's just like I said, I know everything's going to be fine when he's on the ice. He might even score a goal. Like he might keep pucks out of our own net. Like it's just there's nothing I don't like about this guy. I'm like I'm seriously considering getting a jersey or like a a team shirt with his name on it like just I'm so happy we have this guy. This is one of the best moves that Joe Sakic has ever made with this team. And I I'm I say it every episode I feel like, but I don't think I can just bring it home enough how much I love this guy. And the fact that he's not a rental that we have him for three more seasons after this. He's just so good. I, I just I can hardly even believe it. This is his third season in the league. And he's already looking like he's one of the best defenders on a stacked defensive team. Like I'd behind Makar, I'd put Taze second. And obviously that shows in the way they structure the defense. Taze plays with Makar, but it's tough competition with guys like Sam Gerrard and now Bowen Byram to compete with. Just, it's just so, just so comforting to watch Devontae's play hockey. I, I look forward to him being on the ice because I know he's going to play solid hockey, and he picks up a goal on this one. Devin Dubnik with one of the worst plays I've ever seen by a goalie. He's I guess he was feeling the pressure, so he grabs Miko Rantanen's stick and pulls himself out of the net and leaves Devontae's with a wide open net. And of course, Devontae's, being the perfect human being that he is, snipes it into the wide open net because there's no goalie in it. And Devin Dubnik has the has the audacity, the gall, to turn around and give the refs the what for. And of course, the refs go and they look at it because the goalie is outside of his crease. And sh- surely no goalie is crazy enough 
to drag themselves out of their own net to try to, I don't know, draw a penalty or something or try get a goalie interference call because they have such little confidence in their own abilities to stop a puck. I have never seen that. He grabs Miko Rantanen's stick and pulls himself out of the net and Devontae's has nothing in his way to stop him from scoring a goal to put his team up 6-2. to two. What the hell are you doing to Nick? What is wrong with you? Like, and to turn, and then to turn around and give the refs the what for, like they missed something. You are insane. This guy is the worst. Like, Devin Dubnik is such a whiner, and we saw it throughout his time in Minnesota. And my God, he he hasn't changed a bit. And like, you suck, dude. You don't. You're not even beating Martin Jones for the starting position in San Jose. Get lost with that attitude. And he he had a resurgence in Minnesota after not being wanted by either Edmonton, Nashville, or Arizona, and has that resurgence under a very good wild defense back in 2015 for a few years before cratering off the face of the friggin' earth and gets dealt to San Jose. All you gotta do to be the starting goalie in San Jose is to, like, play at a college hockey level. Martin Jones is not a good goalie, and he has not been a good goalie for at least three years. And Devin Dubnik can't even do that. And he has the has the balls to grab Miko Rantanen's stick and get pulled out of his own net. Rantanen's not even in the crease. Dubnik is going out of his way to do that. Like, I, I can't stress it enough. I have never seen that. Who does that? Like, what, are, what is your problem? Like, what? What What are you do? It's crazy. So the abs are up 6-2 now. Like, the refs, they, they looked at it for a few seconds. Like, they didn't even, like, there was, there was no, no doubt that was a goal. They looked at it for five seconds, and I, you could tell they were holding back laughter. I mean, my God. My God, that was sad. Devin Dubnik is a whiner, and I don't want to hear it from that loser. I mean, good God, man. You're losing your starting position to Martin Jones. And what is Doug Wilson thinking bringing in Devin Dubnik to fix their goaltending problem? Devin Dubnik, last season with the Wild, was basically the only goalie in the league, starting goalie, that is, worse than Martin Jones, and then the Sharks traded for him. So now they had, last season, the 30th and 31st worst starting goalie in the league. Devin Dubnik lost his job to a guy whose name I cannot remember right now. I'm totally blanking on who he lost his job to late in the season, because the Wild, they made the expanded playoffs, and... They had a different goalie in net, and I cannot for the life of me remember who it is. And I'm not kidding. I don't remember who he got replaced by. Like, that's how bad he was last year. Like, it's a... And he played better than than Dubnik. God bless you, whoever your name is. I cannot for the life of me remember it. But, like, I'm so sick of Devin Dubnik. I mean... He's he's been such a whiner over the years. He does the, the all the time, like giving the ref the what for and like the spread out arms and like the what the hell, guys? Is that not a goaltender interference penalty? Like, got, like he's just a baby. He's a total baby. And Lord, so it's six two Colorado. There's still time left in the second period. Brandon Saad with his second of the game. 90 seconds later on Devin Dubnik, set up by Andre Burakovsky and Nazem Kadri. It's 7-2 to two now. The game's over. Everyone knows the game's over. The Sharks know the game's over. The Avs know the game's over. Third period uneventful. Logan Couture with the lone goal of the period for the Sharks to make it 7-3 to three with a little less than eight minutes to go. Not a whole lot happens after that. The Avs outshoot the Sharks. 42-30 to 30 over the course of the game. Wow. 
this was great. Actually, something else did happen in that third period. Um, here's a big surprise. Evander Kane took a bunch of stupid penalties and made himself look like a jackass. Even more of a jackass, if that is even possible with the amount of debt this guy is in. I mean, who is not sick of Evander Kane right now? It comes out before the season, he is declaring bankruptcy because he is in massive gambling debt. And I, if I were to look up right now who is leading the league in penalty minutes... I would bet money that Evander Kane is number one. I need I need to find out who that is. Who is leading the league in penalty minutes right now? I need I need to know. Is there a way that I can find this out? Who leads the league in penalty minutes? And number one is Tyler Myers, actually. Both guys, Myers and Roussel in Vancouver, lead the league with 23 minutes. Oliver Bjorkstrand, number three, and at number four, the man of the hour from the San Jose Sharks with 18 penalty minutes, meaning that those are all minors. He has taken nine penalties in seven games. Evander Kane. This guy, like, good lord, like, He's got two goals and three assists, so he's. I guess he's still being productive. Minus five, 18 penalty minutes. I mean, good lord, man. I mean, was is he gonna? Is he like gonna go prize fighting after the season? Like he was talking shit to Jake Paul before the season started. Now we know why, because he desperately needs the money. But my God, it's hard to feel bad for the guy when he plays like this. I mean, I hope I wish the best for him with figuring out his financial situation, but on the ice, you suck, dude. Like, it is, it's brutal to watch him play and take all these dumb penalties. Blech. Enough, I just had enough of Vander Kane. The game gets feisty towards the end. Devontae's cleaning out the front of the net. Ryan Graves takes a 10-minute misconduct after I, I'm pretty sure he was shit-talking the refs after he took a minor penalty. Whatever. I'm sure if the Avs go up in Thursday's game against the Sharks early and it gets out of hand again, I, I could see them starting to take runs at guys. Like, you're never happy after losing by four, especially giving up seven goals. But I just, I hope the Sharks keep themselves in check next game and don't go out trying to injure our players. I mean, then Ryan Graves... The sad part is, as great as this game was, for Ryan Graves, that was his most notable contribution, was taking a 10-minute misconduct. He has been bad still. All the players that shut me up after last episode, after I called them out, Ryan Graves was not one of them. He is still not performing to expectation, and... Getting a 10-minute misconduct at the end of a 7-3 game is just about all I can say about him right now. He he just looks out of it. I don't know if it has to do with no longer being with Kale McCarr or just, I don't know what it is. That's got to be it. I mean, just adjusting to not having the best defenseman on the team as your defensive partner and knowing what your role is because McCarr is an offensive defenseman first and foremost. Not like he sucks at defense, but Ryan Graves is much better at defense than he is at offense, and his hockey IQ is through the roof. That's why he's in the league. But when you place him with a bunch of new guys, and he, I mean, when he played with McCarr, obviously the thing he would do is let McCarr jump into the rush and kind of play back a little bit to defend, and now he's on that third pairing. And he can't really do much of that anymore. And so I just, he might be questioning himself, but it's just been ineffective. And hopefully he can turn it around. But if he doesn't, I wouldn't be shocked to see him scratched sooner than later and see Connor Timmons get into the lineup. And if he can't get back in the lineup, I wouldn't be shocked to see him dealt either. And as sad as that would be, Oh well, man. I mean, we just signed you to a, a rich extension. Like this is this is one of the moves that I frankly didn't get from Joe Sackick to give Ryan Graves after one year of production. Not even huge production. I mean, he was my god, plus 40 and plus minus. I hate plus minus as a stat, but when you're plus 40 
it means something. Plus minus only matters when it's extreme to one side. Like if you're minus 60, you might suck at defense. If you're plus 40, you might be pretty good. If it's like plus 10, it doesn't matter. But he had a solid season last year. I mean, that's without a doubt. But then he immediately got $3 million for three years. And he's just been awful this season. There's no other way to put it. So if he can't perform and we get to the trade deadline and Connor Timmons is drawing into the lineup more than Graves is, I wouldn't be shocked to see them shop around to see if they can find an upgrade somewhere or maybe get Graves as a part of a deal for a goalie, for a backup goalie, because something we'll get to later. Pavel Francouz has not stepped on the ice whatsoever. Hunter Miska is now the backup for the foreseeable future. But Ryan Graves, I need I need to see something from him soon. It doesn't need to be a goal. It doesn't need to be a, a four-point night. It just needs to be solid defensive play. That's all that's all I need to see from him right now. And if he can just be even somewhat what he was last season, you can, you keep him on the third pair, everything's fine. You have one of the best defenses in the league. But he he needs to do that. He needs to produce and perform. And hopefully, if, I mean, if the lineup, the defensive lineup stays the same as it is right now, and you keep Graves with Eric Johnson on that third pair, I don't think you have anything to worry about. And I think Ryan Graves, smart of a hockey player as he is, will figure it out eventually and get used to what Eric Johnson, his tendencies are and what he wants him to do. And he's a smart guy. He'll figure it out. He's not going to have a season like he did last year. I think that is out of the question at this point. But you have Devontae's and Kale McCarr on the top pair. Love those two. Kale McCarr with the quiet three-point night. I'll talk a bit more about him in a second. But the quiet three-point night, the best, the most points on the ice from either side. Bowen Byram on the second pair with Sam Gerrard. Bowen Byram getting the start tonight. Good for you, kid. I know starting is more of like a ceremonial thing in hockey, but like that's not nothing. And it's his fourth game in the league, and he's already getting starts. And he's averaging 16 minutes a night. He's He is staying on the team. He is on the second pair right now. He's not getting sheltered. He is staying on the team. Like, screw, like, the nine-game tryout period. Bowen Byram is a member of the Colorado Avalanche for the foreseeable future, un like, until he's not anymore, and until he's not at all even team property. He is here to stay, and he is going to stay here until the Colorado Avalanche are no longer playing hockey at the end of the season. This guy is an NHL defenseman. It's, I'm blown away at how good he is. And I, and I expected him to be great, and he's surpassed even that, and he's only going to get better with each passing game. I couldn't be happier. And then you get to the third pair, Ryan Graves, Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson back in the lineup. Obviously, he dealt with coronavirus before the season started, was held out of training camp, only played in one game before this, just looked a bit out of place. Not awful, but out of place. And Bednar, I think, made the right call to take him out of the lineup and let him get the workouts back in. Let him work in practice. Let him just get up to speed instead of giving him a trial by fire. You know, and he got to see what Greg Patteron was like. And we all saw that we don't need to see anymore. And that Greg Patteron immediately hit waivers the second Eric Johnson was ready. And now he's on the taxi squad. And good. Because <laughs> I don't need to see any more of that unless we have to out of Greg Patteron. But going back to Ryan Graves, just I think you just keep him in this spot. Hope God God willing injuries don't get in the way and I think everything will be fine with him, hopefully at least. Calling all Jets fans and foodies. What's going on guys? I'm Brandon Rewicki, the host of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Look, if you love Jets hockey, this is the place for you. In-depth breakdowns from every game, a deep dive into the big plays and moments from Winnipeg's season, and all the Jets talk you will not find anywhere else. We got it for you on Skates and Plates. Plus, if you love carbs and everything tasty, we jump into the world of food as well. 
Once a week, we also speak with a member of the local culinary scene to highlight their great stories and the great food they put out. So there it is. Hockey, jets, food, drink, everything good in life. It's right here on Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. So that's about all I had about the game. 7-3 the final score. The Avs 4-3 on the season. I think they are now still in third in that West division behind the Vegas Golden Knights. Is Minnesota still up there? Uh, no, they're not, actually. Oh, my God, no. Vegas at 5-1-1, 11 points. St. Louis at 4-2-1 with 9 points. Your Colorado Avalanche at 4-3 with 8 points. And the Los Angeles Kings, a little bit of an early season supply, surprise, 3-2-2 two two at 8 points. And now I get to the unplanned segment where I rant about loser points in the NHL. The Colorado Avalanche have one more win than the Los Angeles Kings in the same amount of games, and the Kings have lost four games. They are three and four. The Avs are four and three. They both have eight points. What the hell? This system sucks. The Kings have an entire win worth of losses. How does that make any sense? How does losing a game in overtime give you one point? And if you lose two games in overtime, that counts as a win, basically. I mean, you look across the league, like the Washington Capitals are 4-0-3. They have 11 points despite the fact they are 4-3. They have three more points than the Avalanche despite having the same record. The Montreal Canadiens are 4-0-2. They're they're basically 5-0. Apparently, they have an entire win worth of losses already. They have 10 points in six games despite the fact that they've lost two games. I mean, it's it's crazy to me. The the Winnipeg Jets have won more games than them. Granted, they've played one more game, but they're five and two. And they both have ten points. Like this system needs to go. What I what I think they should do is they have three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime win, one point for an overtime loss, and zero points if you lose in regulation. That would balance out the league so much and encourages winning in regulation. The Avs have only had one game go to overtime this season, and apparently they're being punished for that. I mean, the the reason we're behind the Blues right now, despite the fact that we have the same record of 4-3, and three, is because the Blues lost an overtime game. So they're 4-2-1, and one, and they have one more point than us. I just, I just think that's crazy. Like, how, no other league does, like, in the NFL, if you lose in overtime, they don't give you, like, a a half point. I mean, they have ties in the NFL, but at least that's, a, like, a, a, t- a tangible result, a tie. It's a, it's a thing. Like, it's not a loss. It's not a win. An overtime loss is a loss. So they either need to just have it be wins entirely, wins and losses, like, to hell with overtime points, or they need to go to a 3-2-1 system. Because this is crazy. Like, this is like Columbus last season had a ridiculous number of overtime losses. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was like 12 or something. They had six wins worth of losses. And that's what it is. It is six wins worth of losses. It's not overtime points. An overtime loss is half a win, apparently. That is nuts to me. I don't get it. And while we're on the topic of overtimes, shootouts. Get rid of them. I am sure at some point when the Avalanche go to a shootout, I will have a two-hour rant about why I hate shootouts, but I will save it for that day. You will be in for a treat. If there will be one positive to the Avalanche going to a shootout this season, which they eventually will because the overtime rules suck, you will get to hear me blow up about how much I despise the shootout in hockey. And I hate overtime points almost just as much because it's crazy. The Chicago Blackhawks, here's another one. They are two and five, but they lost two games in overtime. So they are two, three, and two. So they have six points. They are tied with the three and O Dallas Stars and three and O Florida Panthers and three and one Tampa Bay Lightning at six points because they have a an entire win out of overtime losses. It's a joke. This system is a joke. 
and the NHL needs to fix it because this is crazy. I mean, basketball doesn't have it where, like, they, if a game goes to overtime, a team gets a point. No, baseball doesn't have it if it goes to extra innings. I mean, it is dumb. It's dumb. There's no other way to put it that... There is no reason we should be tied with the Kings at eight points, despite the fact that we've won more games than them, and behind the St. Louis Blues, despite the fact that we have the same record at four and three, because they lost one of those games in overtime, or in a shootout, I believe, to the Sharks. It's, it's just crazy to me, and I, just, I can't believe that it doesn't get brought up more and that they don't have any intention of changing it. It's one of the worst systems in major American sports and it needs to go. It's just completely backwards and wrong. But moving on from my daily rant about how incompetent the NHL is, let's talk about something better in the NHL. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr is quietly leading all defensemen in points right now and that is... Incredible. I mean, this is his second full season in the league. I mean, you, you can count the the season he made the playoffs and played 10 games in the playoffs as a whole season, but this is his second regular season. He has eight points. No other defenseman in the league has eight points. And the thing is, those are all assists. He has no goals yet. And take that however you want, but that is almost just as impressive. He's ahead of guys like John Carlson, Jeff Petrie, Quinn Hughes. I mean, I think right now you can say Kale McCarr has been much better than Quinn Hughes if we're going to have that whole debate from last season. Quinn Hughes has been one of the worst defensive players in the league this season. I mean, I don't have the advanced analytics in front of me, but from what I saw, I believe he was like third worst in the league. He's a, he's a minus seven right now. And again, I hate plus minus, but this is the only thing I have in front of me at the moment. And... Quinn Hughes has played 23 minutes a game in eight games, and he's a minus seven. Kale McCarr has played 22 minutes a game in seven games, and he's a plus four. Again, horrible stat. All I have in front of me right now, but you can draw some conclusions from that. So Kale McCarr, zero goals, eight assists, leads the league in points. And is it too early to talk about the Norris Trophy for Kale McCarr? Is this, is it going to happen this season already? I mean, I have my doubts because the NHL awards don't actually constitute who the best player is anymore. I think the awards are a joke. And the, like, the award last season, like, John Carlson got second place for the Norris Trophy despite the fact that he was one of the worst defensive defensemen in the league. When it came, when it came to actually playing defense, he was almost incompetent. But he led the league in points for defensemen, so he got second place. And you see it all the time. Like, the, the awards go to people that they, they feel like are due, not to people who deserve it. I mean, Dreisaitl won MVP last season over Nathan McKinnon. That should tell you everything you need to know about how validating these awards are. So, but, any, but anyway, I, I did it again. I'm ranting about how dumb the NHL is, but... Is it too early for Kale McCarr to win the Norris Trophy? Can he actually do it this season? I know we're seven games into the season, but could he, like, be a finalist already? Could he win it? He's been that good so far. I mean, and you can't argue with the results that he's been that good so far. I think he's got a shot, I think. I mean, obviously, he won the Calder last season. I think that could give him some juice for Norris votes. If he plays at this pace and puts up some goals and continues his solid defensive play, he's made a few mistakes, a few noticeable mistakes that have led to goals, but he's not, like, getting walked every night. I mean, he hasn't been Quinn Hughes bad at defense. He's been solid, and he's leading defensemen in points, which, as we know, counts more towards the Norris than anything, but could he actually do it this season? I put a poll out on Twitter recently right as i started recording this episode and this it won't be wrapped up by the time you're hearing this there might still be a few hours left by the time you're hearing this so go vote i want to hear it i asked do you think kale mccarr will win the norris this season or is it too early to say right now we have a few votes coming in 22 percent say norris winner 
44% say Norris finalist, 11% say on the top five ballot, so on the ballot that all the writers submit, and 23% say it's too early to tell. I have two answers to that. I think it is too early to tell because it's only seven games into a 56-game season. I think around, like, maybe game 20-ish, maybe halfway through the season, we'll be able to really tell who's going to be on the award ballots or not. And it's too early to tell right now, but I do think that Kale McCarr is going to be on the ballot. I don't know about winning, because I think it's going to be a stacked class this year. I think you're going to see maybe guys like Shea Theodore, Klingberg, like a lot of young defensemen are going to start making those ballots. Like like I just said, Theodore, Heiskinen. I don't think Hughes is going to be on there. He's been a nightmare so far. Ivan Provorov is a big dark horse to make it on there. And Victor Hedman, in my opinion, is the best defenseman in the league. And I think he's just a perennial Norris finalist, and he might just win it again outright because he's insanely good. I mean, you're going to see a lot of these guys. Who knows what Alex Petrangelo can do in Vegas? Anyway, like I'm saying, it's going to be a stacked ballot this year. But I think McCarr's going to make it, especially if he paces himself in points and doesn't have to lead the the league in points by a defenseman but if he's top five and plays solid defensively he'll get votes and he might even be a finalist I think before the season I predicted Victor Hedman to win just because like I said I think he is just flat out the best defenseman in the league and I don't really think it's that close as to anyone who could possibly be in second maybe Roman Yossi but I don't think it's too early. If he continues to play like this, the writers are not going to have a choice but to give him votes. And by the time, by the maybe by McCarr's third full season, he could be walking away with a Norris Trophy. And that's that's just crazy. Like I had high hopes for Kale McCarr when he got drafted, and high hopes ever since he got into the league, but third year Norris trophy winner like that would that would blow my mind I don't know if it'll happen just because there's a lot of good defensemen in the league a lot of good young defensemen but McCarr he's he is one of those guys he is at the top of that class I mean you can argue guys like Miro Heiskinen and the like but Cal McCarr is in that elite tier of young defensemen you could make the argument he's the face of that elite tier of young defensemen right now. I think he's going to get one soon. I will put I'd put money down. I'd put a solid 50 bucks down that in the next 5 years Kale McCarr wins at least one Norris trophy and I think that would be the easiest money I would ever make. He's that good and if he plays at this pace it could possibly come as soon as this season. I don't think it will. I think he will I think when they tally up all the votes at the end of the season, Kale McCarr overall will finish in the top five. Maybe get on the finalists. And if he's really good, he could possibly win. But I don't think he will yet. Next season, whole nother conversation. Now we're talking another year of growth. Another year of chemistry, hopefully with Devontae's. Or maybe Bowen Byram, who in his own right, if he pans out the same way Kale McCarr has, might bring home a Norris Trophy himself one day. We just don't know the ceiling for Bowen Byram yet, but what we've seen so far, it seems to be through the friggin' roof. It, God, like, look, listen to what we're talking about right now. Is Kale McCarr going to win a Norris Trophy this season? Or is it too early? Maybe he'll win it next year or the year after that. The fact that we're even having that conversation already in his second year is crazy. And the fact that he's not even the only one that could possibly do it on this team in the next decade. Bo Byram could do it as well if he turns out to be everything that he's hyped to be. How how blessed are we to have this team, Makar, Byram, the addition of Devontae's, Sam Gerrard, and, like, we haven't... I, I do this every episode, but... It's crazy. It's genuinely just crazy. But moving on from 
the infinite praise of the defense. Miko Rantanen is on a six-game goal streak. How good is this guy really? Is he one of the best wingers in the league? Because, like I said coming into the season, my expectation this season from Miko Rantanen, if he stays healthy this season, which he did not do last season, my expectation is that he emerges as one of the elite wingers in the league. Like, in that conversation as one of the best in the league with guys like Ovechkin and Artemi Panarin and David Pasternak, like those guys, Kyle Connor, Pacioretty. That's what I wanted to see from him this season. And so far, he is doing that exactly. He leads the league in goals right now. And I just, I'm curious where Miko Rantanen would rank if you were to rank all wingers right now. I mean, num- I think number one alone is hard to figure out. I don't think it's Rantanen yet. I mean, you could argue it's a guy like Ovechkin, Pasternak, Marchand, or anyone like that. But I'd, I'd say Rantanen, he's, he's definitely in the top 10, without a doubt. I mean... Guys like Mark Stone and Marner around him, I'd put Miko Rantanen absolutely in that tier. I'd put him, like, I'd say just in terms of history and potential impact, Ovechkin just number one. Probably Ovechkin, Kucherov, one and two. Kucherov probably number one right now. Then you have guys like Pasternak, Marchand, Mark Stone, Mitch Marner, and... I mean, after Marner, I mean, how could you not put Rantanen after him? I mean, I could see arguments for a lot of other guys in the league. It's a very tight class, but Rantanen is absolutely in that tier. I mean, I'd put him maybe just behind a guy like Panarin, but I'd have Rantanen absolutely in the top 10. I mean, arguably 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th. That's impressive. There are there are some stars in this league that I would put him ahead of right now. And man, this he's still young too. I mean, he's still only going to grow. I mean, he's 24 now, so this is really the last season you can consider him to be young. I think once you hit 25, you're experienced, I suppose, and you've been in the league long enough to not be young anymore. I mean, this is going to be his fifth full season in the league technically his sixth season if you count the nine games he played in 2016 but this will be his fifth full season and man if he if he keeps scoring like this I mean he might just win the Rocket Richard outright I don't know how realistic that is he's scoring at almost a goal per game pace I mean I don't know maybe he'll keep that up but it's very hard to do but even that like I expect I expect he's going to compete for the Rocket this season. I mean, with McKinnon centering him and feeding him perfect passes like he's been doing, how could he not? He might he might come around, like, maybe 40 goals in 56 games. I don't really know what, like, the pace is going to be for a lot of these top-tier scorers. I mean, Rantanen's leading the league right now in scoring. I mean, that's not a secret. Who else would even be in that conversation. I mean, it's kind of a mess right now in terms of leading the league and scoring just because it's so early right now. I mean, one hat trick pushed Max Pacioretty to tie with Rantanen in that last game with St. Louis for Vegas. So he's at six. Connor McDavid's at five. Travis Konechny's at five. I mean, McDavid, three of those goals came in a hat trick. Tyler Toffoli, three of his five goals came in a hat trick. Rantanen's scoring at probably the most consistent pace in the league right now. And Alex Ovechkin has dominated the Rocket Richard conversation, but he's out right now, and he's missing one more game as part of really... A f- if it's technically a four-game quarantine. It's really more of a four-game suspension, but that's going to be a tough deficit for him to make up considering he only has one goal right now. So unless Ovechkin scores at a hat-trick per game pace like he did for a certain stretch last season, I don't know if he's going to be able to make up that difference and catch up, so he might not be in the conversation. He, I mean, he, did, he is in the conversation. I don't mean that at all, but it's 
he's he has to catch up. And Austin Matthews at four goals, he was my prediction to win the Rocket. Rantanen has a shot at this. I know, I know we're seven games into the season, but he's got a shot. It looks like he is really taking a big, big step so far. I mean, you can argue he's been the Avalanche's best player. And he dealt with a lot of injuries last season that held him to 19 goals in 42 games. But in 2018-19, 31 goals, 56 points, or 56 assists, 87 points. Season before, 81 games, 29 goals, 55 assists, 84 points. If this was a full 82-game season, I think he would absolutely obliterate those numbers. And he might he might just straight up do that anyway this season. Maybe not points-wise. It might be almost impossible to hit 87 points this season in a 56-game season. But 31 goals and 29 goals, I think he could smash those. Maybe not smash them, but like 35 goals, maybe even pushing 40. That's impressive in a season like this. I mean, it's going to come back down to earth eventually. I'd say around that 31 goal mark maybe 35 I mean that might be enough that might be a 50 goal pay I don't I can't do the math off the top of my head I'm terrible at math but I think that'd be around a 50 goal pace I'd put and a 50 goal pace that might be enough to win you the rocket Richard I mean at least one person in the league hits 50 every year it's usually Ovechkin but I'd say it's between 30 and 35 He's in, he's in the running for the Rocket, and I think he definitely has a possibility to do it. I don't think he does just because, like, I think a guy like Matthews is going to go on a crazy scoring pace and put up around 40 goals this season, and you can never count out Ovechkin. Like, he might just start blistering and putting up three goals a game like he did for a two-month stretch last season, and once David Pasternak comes back, we'll see what he's made of. Him and Ovechkin split the rocket last season, but it's it's wide open right now. And I think Rantanen has a shot. As long as he keeps playing to the best of his ability like he's been doing for this entire season, he can do it, and I really hope he does. He, he deserves the, the recognition as one of the best players in the league right now. And that's about all I have for today on this edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast. Man, I mean, just look at the difference in attitude from when we lost that game to the Kings and Ducks in that close overtime game against the Ducks to this one where the Avs finally look like the Avs and dominate. You, could, I could, I just feel different. I feel lighter. I feel happier. It's, it's, it's crazy the effect that sports has on our minds, whether our teams win or lose. This was just, this was a fun episode to record. I didn't even realize I was getting to that hour-long mark quite yet. But hopefully the Avalanche can keep this up when they face the San Jose Sharks again on Thursday. And after that, we've actually got two games against the Minnesota Wild coming on back-to-back nights as part of the first two of a four-game stretch against the Minnesota Wild. Again, on the 30th and 31st, both of those games in Minnesota. And those games could get nasty. I mean, we all know how much we don't like Minnesota, even if they haven't been their best the last few years. A four-game stretch against them could get nasty. So the next time you guys hear from me will be Monday, February 1st, when... The Wild have wrapped up their first two games, or the Avalanche will have wrapped up their first two games against the Wild. I'll be recording after they finish that first game against the Wild and likely before that second game against the Wild, but it's a bit earlier than the other games in this season, so we'll see. But that's all I had for today. Thank you all so much once again for tuning in to this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you all so much for listening. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It As It Is. Also, once again, our sponsor for this episode, DraftKings.com. Use promo code THPN when you sign up. That is code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, in case you didn't realize to get access to exclusive offers on DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook. And I will catch you all next time.